everyone, welcome back to But Why Though Reviews, and we're reviewing Fantasia Fest. As always, I'm Kate. I'm here with CJ. Hello, everybody. And Ricardo. Hello, everybody. We have been covering for the last like three weeks, two, three weeks. Uh, we've been covering Fantasia Fest, which is a genre film festival, and I'm just going to call it out one of the best festivals to watch Asian cinema um that i have been to um and we wanted to just take time to talk about our favorite films of the festival and really give shout outs to things that we think you should keep your eye on in case they get distribution or just really champion um so uh, we can go a little bit around just kind of give our um what we do and kind of the genres that we're usually focused in or the types of films we kind of targeted this round um so you know if if you uh, if y'all, yeah, if you're listening to this and you're listening to my voice, you probably know me. Um, I'm editor in chief of But Why Though. I am the head of film and anime. And for me, Fantasia Fest has been my spot to watch all of the live action adaptations of manga and anime that I don't get to watch because they never get US releases. Uh, so I really focused on Asian film, but we had an amazing amount of Korean films at this Fantasia Fest. So that was really where I spent a lot of my time, but I ended up with a couple of really good horror films that blew me away in a really weird way. Um, Ricardo, how about you? It's a similar experience and thoughts. Fantasia Fest is just so wonderful. Um, just like you said, like many of these films barely get distribution, especially the Asian films, the Korean, Japanese, all that stuff. Not, not only manga adaptations. If in the US they don't get one, in Mexico it's even worse. Like we barely, barely, barely get like anime stuff. Like by example, Goodbye Donglis is just getting here a, a little theatrical, theatrical release, right? But yeah. this is like my one of my only opportunities to watch uh, this wide array of Asian cinema. And it's just so, so good. And it's not just Asian, just genre movies, horror, science fiction, uh, European animation. And oh my God, it, it, this really uh, is the annual tradition of opening your eyes and, and you know, remembering that the, the world of cinema could it's, it's so beautiful and so big and it would be so cool if all of these uh, movies get the visibility they deserve because they truly do yeah beautifully said that's that that that's that's what this fest does like hands down dj what about you um yes uh i too gravitated towards asian films this go around mainly uh, japanese pretty much a good chunk of my coverage is japanese language film I was also generally surprised at the great sci-fi. Like three of the films I watched were really, really good sci-fi. And I've been a longtime science fiction fan. So to see that, you know, represented in this genre is really, really, in this film festival is really, really cool. And it's very creative. Like I know, I mean, again, this is a film that got a theatrical release, but a lot of people clicked with everything everywhere all at once because it managed to do some big, crazy sci-fi stuff while also telling a deeply personal story. And I did have films that were in that same wheelhouse. And it's like really, really great and a nice, re and a nice reminder that, you know, film festivals offer so much stuff in ter terms of genre. And last year I covered Fantasia and loved it so. Yes, it's a nice reminder of why this is a really great film festival to cover. Yeah. Um, so as we get into our favorite films, I'm going to start us off with one that broke me, like emotionally. <laughs> like I was, uh, next Sohi. Um, yes. That film, it felt like it hollowed me out, but like didn't even like put a Band-Aid over it. Like it yeah. was just like, oh no, you're going to live in that for a while. You're going to live in the depression and brokenness that is this film right now. Um, that one is out of uh, South Korea. It stars one of my favorite actresses, Bae Dona. So Nexo He is directed by Julie Jung and written by her as well. Um, it Its focus is on Bae Dona and Kim Si-yoon, which are two characters that are that take over two halves of the film. The first half of the film, you see Kim Si-yoon as uh, So-hee, 
And so he is a young girl in a rural town and she's going to school to work. Um, so it's more of like a vocational high school program and they fit you with jobs and then you go and do and you get you get entry to the workforce really quick. Um, she ends up finding herself in a very abusive workplace situation. And after her boss kills herself or himself kills himself, she ends up realizing just how there is like the hope is kind of sucked out of everything. And she even tries to push back and she gets nowhere. Um, when she also makes a really tragic decision, um, Bei Duna comes in as Detective Eugen to get down to the bottom of it and try to expose the worker exploitation that's happening at the call center that Suhi worked at and uh, breaks in the process. It, it's really beautiful to see how Beiduna comes in as a really kind of cold and stoic, yes. like she had seen things character. Yes. And by the end, there is just a deep sadness and helplessness that is there that wasn't there to begin with. And I think from the writing to the ability to tell something that is so I don't want to like abrasive isn't the right word, but like just something that is very in your face with the darkness, but also very intimate at the same time, I think is something really beautiful. Um, and that it's it that's why it's one of my favorites. Um uh did you all get a chance to see Nexohi? Yes. Uh yes. <laughs> I think you go first. Like Kate said, this was a dagger to the heart. But I couldn't look away. Like I, I could yeah. not look away. You, this is a film that grabs you and refuses to let go. And I know that's been said about a lot of films, but in this case, it totally makes sense. Especially where Bay Duna is concerned. That woman, oh my God, she sells so many emotions and throughout this film, especially you know, some anger, some desperation, some again crushed, some crushed desperation. It's just. Oof. My recommendation, folks, if this movie ever makes it stateside, watch it with somebody. Just Yeah, just so yeah don't watch it alone. <laughs> don't watch it alone because you're going to be th rethinking all your life choices. Thinking, oh, no. I think I actually just sat on the couch and like my husband came out and was like, what are you doing? Like, there's nothing <laughs> on. The TV's turned off. I was like, I just need to sit in this for a little bit. Yeah. You, I went outside and took a long walk and to digest it. And I was like, man. <laughs> yeah, you, what about you, Ricardo? You'll never uh, be rude to a, a call center agent ever again. Yeah. After yeah. Watching this. 100%. This, uh, you described it perfectly, uh, both of you. It's so, such an intimate, empathetic way. Like, actually, the movie's a, an incisive, very sharp critique. Yes. the Korean system, mm -hmm. the way they exploit the youth. Like actually Korea has one of the most unhappy youth uh, uh, populations in the entire yep. world. And there are high index of, of tragedies. I don't want to say the exact words. Uh, yeah. It's, it, it wouldn't be a spoiler because actually in the trailer on the actually official Oh synopsis. yeah, that's true. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so, so, but just in case I don't want to, to reveal exactly like kind of the twist, if you can call that. Uh, but, you know, this is a, a huge problem in South Korea. And uh, unfortunately, in that country, mental health is uh, a taboo, a stigma. It's, uh, if you have depression, you are weak. That's how they still see that. And this movie is like a critique against that, but also like a, a prevention method. Uh, it's yeah. really trying to, to prevent more tragedies. It's trying to, to prevent it through empathy. That's what the movie does so perfectly. And, and the, the yeah. pace is kind of slowish, but it, as CJ uh, said, it completely grabs you. Mm -hmm. And um, you, you learn to know this person. You learn how in love they are with life at some points, how optimist they are. And you start seeing slowly how everything gets taken away because of this horrible yeah. it's like a horror movie at some point like the, yeah. the, the first half is like a horror movie the way it's paced out as julie jones just such an incredible director yeah. this film actually won best direction at, at fantasia and deservedly so and you know all of this prevention uh, is done through empathy the mm -hmm. director wants you to empathize and to understand uh, 
what the character went through and how the systems are designed to, to, to crush the youth and how important it is to, to yeah. stop this stigma of uh, yeah. weakness of mental health. Yeah. And I think you're completely right in, in the incisiveness of it, very specifically, like with how the film ends, which I obviously won't spoil, but like it wants you to understand everything that you just watch and it wants you to feel bad. It wants you to have felt the connection to Sophie. It wants you to understand like every bit of it. And I don't think I've seen, I haven't seen a film in a long time that really takes the time to build a character out in the joys and the pain and the afterwards. Um, yeah, it, it's phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> like <Incredible>. it's <laughs> really good. Um, and I, I'm honestly just thankful that Fantasia kept a remote option and gave us like such big films to watch at the same time. Yes. Um, I'll yes. throw it to Ricardo for your first one. Oh, uh, it's very weird because I'm going to talk about next Sohi and Past and Philo are my two favorite films of the festival and they couldn't be any more different. <laughs> like, we're going from this uh, depression to this joy, absolute joy that is fast and feel of. This is a, a film out of uh, Thailand. Uh, let me get the director because I can't pronounce it very good. I am so sorry. This is directed by Nawapul Tamrongra Tanarit. Uh, he directed a beautiful, great uh, romantic film that is on Netflix called Happy All the Year. Um, and now this is kind of a similar in the sense that it tackles on a character interested in a very weird hobby, but this one is like a hilarious sports action romance movie that has a little bit of everything, homages of every cool movie you can think of. And uh, it's about this guy who is uh, obsessed with sport stacking. This is an actual sport in real life where you stack cups and um, you have to do it very fast. And this guy wants to be the very best. But to be the very best, he needs all the time to practice. He can't focus on anything else. So uh, he he's in love. He, he has a, a romance with um, with her girlfriend, who I, I can't remember the name of the character, goddammit. But uh, Jay, Jay is the name. She's uh, performed by Urasaya Sperbun. She's a wonderful actress. And this, uh, this girl, Jay, does everything for our main character, whose name is Kao. Uh, everything to save him seconds like uh, does the laundry he is like she realizes that she's her mom she does the laundry she does the cooking she she makes sure nobody is making any noise if there's a noise in the house she takes care of it and slowly she starts to realize like i don't have an identity like everything i do is for this guy i, I like him i love him but i am i don't have my life i can't realize my dream and that's when the movie starts to become not a sports movie, but like a romance and a coming of age about this guy, Cow, realizing, starting to learn how to do things by himself. Because he's basically a, 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 chill, a child, a guy of five year old guy who doesn't know how to do absolutely anything. Um, but what is very funny, it is like a homage parody of many action movies. Like suddenly there's this a Hans Zimmer-esque score coming out of uh, out of nowhere and there's a, a Batman spoof coming up. Then there's this brilliant Parasite spoof that had me on tears laughing. It was so, so good. It's full of, you know, smart decisions that imitate big Hollywood blockbusters, but also Asian films like IP Man, like uh, Parasite, as I mentioned. And, and all of this to create this, this really lovely coming of age of a guy really uh, starting to grow up and to understand what it's like to be an adult. So I don't know if, if you watch this and um, I hope you did because it's very, very fun. Yeah, I watched it based on your recommendation. Um, I, I, it was just a blast. Like I, I have nothing else to add other than that. It's really a, it's, it is a class on how to use homage yes. without overloading your own story. Like how to call out to all of the things in pop, like literally all of the things in pop culture. Like the, even the trailer, like the, the font that they have is an allusion to the Fast and the Furious movies. Like so much of it is like, it showcases a love of, of, of genre film in a way, but it never loses itself 
in it, which is such a hard thing to pull off. Like to be able to talk or to be able to use things from other films while also like making it uniquely yours. Like, ugh. Yes. That, like that. Yeah, that's all I have to add. Like yes. that. Like I have not seen it done better. Yes. Like it, it's phenomenal. Yes, the director Nawab really stays true to himself, despite all these homages and all this dark exactly. night music and all this. He yeah. stays true and still tells his story about a guy growing up that is in love, that uh, wants to be the best in the world and can decide what to do with his life. And it has an incredible array of characters. What a cast. This yeah. is incredible. CJ, um, did you watch it? I sadly did not get a chance to watch it, but now I hope it gets like a wide release or something because this sounds awesome. Yeah. Right up my alley. I, I Yeah, I definitely... Would love to see it. I know it's on Netflix in Thailand, so hopefully it will hopefully get it'll come worldwide over. Uh, because it's, yeah. it's, a, it, it's very smart. Crossed. Yes, and it's very smart the way it uses the homages because sometimes there's something very random happening. Uh, you know, the story is going forward, and suddenly you hear this music, and you say, "Hmm, I recognize that music," <laughs> uh, and then. The character says something, and they start thinking, oh my god, this is about Star Wars, or this is about Fast and the Furious. And that's how it kind of plays with nostalgia to tell the story. It's very smart. Yep. I, I had a blast. I love this movie. And uh, that's it. Uh, CJ, what's, what's your, your film? Well, my first film is probably not going to be a surprise to folks, Shin Ultraman. Yeah. I'm stunned, CJ. You and <laughs> Ultraman? <laughs> yes. Well, as many folks know, this is from Shinji Higuchi and Hideko Ani, the same team behind Shin Godzilla. And in the same way that the King of Monsters got reimagined, Japan's biggest superhero did. So, in Japan, Japan is being attacked by mysterious alien monsters known as Kaiju, when suddenly a flash of light appears and a red and silver being named Ultraman destroys one of these Kaiju. So, the S-Class Species Suppression protocol or sssp is dispatched to find out more about the kaiju and ultraman and as the film goes on it, we it turns out that ultraman is taking a human form and that other aliens have design on the planet now i love ultraman ultraman is probably one of my favorite pop characters surpassed only by spider-man i grew up with it as a kid and it's been making comeback with the anime on netflix and a series of comics at Marvel and an appearance at this year's Anime Expo. And I thought I was a big Ultraman fan. Hideki Anno is the biggest. He does motion capture for Ultraman in his film. And he also obviously co-wrote the script. And he's even said that Ultraman influenced elements of Neon, Neon Genesis Evangelion. So, yeah, it, it shows. It, he knows how to take this character, update it for the modern times, and present it in a way that both Valentine's fans like myself, as well as newcomers, will be great. And and a superhero space that's like so, so big. It's really great to see a character with this much legacy get a revamp. You know, we've had a lot tons of Batman and Superman and Spider-Man, but Ultraman getting that similar treatment is great. And it makes me really hopeful for what he's going to do with uh, Shin Kamen Rider, which is another big superhero in Japan. But yes, Ooh. really, really great. And I I loved it. It looks so good. There are parts where it looks like an episode of Ultraman and just so good. <laughs> I did not watch it because my it was on like my last round to request. And my I had obviously we were dealing with some side issues. So sadly it was in the rounds that I didn't get to watch. Um but uh ricardo you got to watch it right yes yes it's it's a blast what did does so perfectly is like walk this balance between campiness and seriousness like it's very campy and you enjoy that that's how it uh how it tries to evoke the old school feeling of the original ultraman by being very campy but the the action scenes the actually kaiju fights ultraman against a kaiju they are so good there are times that I just caught myself like with my mouth open, feeling like a child, that this wonderful action stuff. Um, I do feel, however, that at times it feels a little disconnected, like as if it's three episodes uh, joined together. Uh, but it's fun. <laughs> it's, it, 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 it's, there's campiness running through its veins and 
it's very proud to, to have that blood. <laughs> that, that's what I'm trying to mean. And it has these beautiful you know, messages about human resilience. And, you know, of course, just like in, in Shit Godzilla, uh, there's, uh, there's ideas about how Japan is afraid of depending on other countries, of always, yeah. you know, having to depend on the United States, of, China, of, of not being able to, to, like, survive by itself. There's a little bit of that. But for those that were huge fans of Shin Godzilla and think that this is going to be the same, no, like, no, that's not what it is. There's, of course, the the, the, the Anno um, uh, screenplay, trademark screenplay, and um, uh, Shinji Higuchi's trademark cinematography. There are some shots, like, from behind the desk, like, from behind a, a, a chair, very unorthodox. Uh, but... In essence, it is everything CJ said. Like, you know, if you are an Ultraman fan, it does this old school stuff to, to try to, to bring back the nostalgia, but it doesn't go as hard with the bureaucracy and with the social commentary. So yeah, just be aware of that if you, you think it's going to be exactly like Shin Godzilla stuff. <laughs> um, I think the next one for me, um, this is Inuo. Um, I do want to say I only have one animation film and that I'm going to talk about today, but there were so many good animation films at Fantasia like oh like it, but for me Inyo is one of those rare films that captures the depth that animation can bring to a story, the power of the medium, and how there is like there are multiple animation styles being executed within one film to give you different feelings different emotions and capture different atmospheres and i think that that's what makes this like rock opera that's also like a retelling of a historical folktale like really dang good um so if you if, if you're listening to this and you're not familiar with it it is directed by the icon Iconic Masaki Yuasa. Um, they uh, he did uh, Devilman Crybaby 2018. He is the lead over there at Science Saru, which is a phenomenal studio that has just been doing really great work. Um, and the screenplay is by Akiko Nogi, based on uh, Hideo uh, Furukawa's novel uh, Inuo no Kan, which is based on the life of uh, Inuo, which is a folktale figure within our historical, it's one of those like, it's a cultural history and in that cultural history, some is real, some is folktale, which is something that the film handles beautifully. Um, it takes place 200 years after the legendary conflict between the Hike and the Genji clans. And in the wake of the, in, in the wake of the Great War, Japan is left with shogunates dead set on obtaining the Hike treasures from the bottom of the lake where the battle took place. Tamona is the fisherman's son who has worked to find remnants of the battle. One day he's blinded, his father dies, and he essentially has to just set off on his own and he ends up being taken in by a blind um it's not a lute what's the name of the instrument uh, uh biwa 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 yeah uh biwa priests um and he becomes one of them and the biwa becomes how he tells stories and he sees the world and he tries to get to like the hidden hike um at the same time uh a very famous he came musician, or uh, not he came musician, a uh, very famous dancer and performer of uh, of the Hiza clan uh, has a son um, who is a part of their troop and or has a, a son born and he's born with deformities, which leads him to be an outcast. Um, essentially, the two meet and end up becoming really connected and through performing um, Inuo, who is the son of the Hiza clan ends up uh, his body ends up changing as you see that he's telling the stories of the um of the hike that died um it's this really beautiful story that talks about the power of mythology the power of remembrance and the power of finding yourself in it and holding on to it the film's finale is it's breathtaking like i i was blown away by the ability to get so dark but so vibrant at the same time um yeah, I, I really don't know what to say other than it's yes. beautiful. It so blew good. me away. And I'm very happy that G Kids exists yeah. to bring films like this yes. to countries outside of Japan. And I think that like 
it, the fact that it has Belle, Donglis, and Inuo, all three completely different movies in one year, like, come on, man. Like, that's just amazing. Um, I will let somebody else talk about Inuo because I realized I wasn't very, like, good about talking about why I loved it. I just synopsized it, but it, it's beautiful and great. And Yuasa remains the GOAT, so. <laughs> it, 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 that's kind of what you did is what I felt with the movie, like, at, at the start, it's a bit confusing. Like, there are facts. And I, I don't, like, not even the most uh, acknowledged Japanese historian would catch everything because it has a lot of facts and figures and dates. But then everything comes together and then the music starts and it's like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, and it becomes emotional. Yes. Like, it's less about the facts and the history and about the emotion from the stories, which I think is why I have such a hard time talking yes. about it. Because I can't capture that, like, I was... Like I was reacting emotionally to was what I was watching yeah. and reviewing it was so hard because I was like, I don't know how to capture that. I don't think there are words to capture what hearing the biwa with traditional Japanese rock music wow. or with modern Japanese wow. rock music sound so like. It's so good. Oh, yes. It's just like, I, I think, I think that's what's great about it. It's just like, it taps into your feelings. It's less about plot more. It's just like, here's what we're trying to make you feel. Not to mention it's stunningly beautiful. Like, Kate, like you mentioned, there are a mixture of great animation styles in here. And that was what drew me. I was like, okay, I got to see how it turns out. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is beautiful. This is amazing. If, if you've phenomenal. ever wondered what like period, like period piece Japan story, but glam rock yeah. is like that that's what this is. It's like, yes, it's exactly. glam rock meets traditional Japan. And that's like... Yes, and, and I felt like most of the movies that are about this period of time in Japan are war movies. Or yes, historic. yes, and this one's exactly. About, this one's about artists and about culture, and it's beautiful. Exactly. And uh, it, it, the way, like, because the Inuo actually existed, and mm -hmm. he was supposed to be like this innovative artist that was buried by time and buried by, by the people of, of, exactly. the, of during that time. Um, and what... Uh, what the director is, what, what Yuasa is trying to do is to reclaim his legacy, to bring him forward. And th th this combination that, that you're talking about, about uh, the big one, the traditional music with the rock, you know, combining this is kind of to, to emote or, or trying to understand what people felt during that time watching this innovative revolutionary artist. Mm -hmm. How would that feel? So that's why he uses yeah. that method. It's so smart and it's awesome. Yes, great. Yeah. And, and I said like, Mad God is the was the first animated masterpiece of the year, and Inu is the second animated masterpiece yep. of the year. Just, I would hard, be yeah. hard pressed to argue with you. Yeah. And I just learned it's coming out next week in theaters. So yep. Yep. We'll get to see it. it it's it. sadly not coming out in Austin, so I cannot see it in theaters. And I am I am still a very hard pressed like send screeners watch stuff at home be safe all that jazz every once in a while there's a there's a movie that gets me to be like oh i need this i need this on a big screen and inyo is one of those just so i can hear like the music surround me um i promise i wrote a way more like thoughtful review of this on the website that i will link uh in the show notes of this um but just watch it if you have the ability to watch it watch it yes. it is hands down just stunning i i, I this isn't good enough. We're gonna have Matt at the Oscars number five hundred and fifty oh um, when nominate. the animated awards yes. come up. Oh no! And they're, Lightyear wins. They're going to nominate <laughs> the, the Apple Pain. TV film instead of this, and it's gonna be so bad. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyway, yes, Ricardo, your second one. Okay, my my second one is okay. I'm gonna postpone this to keep talking about animation. I'm going to to talk first about my grandfather's demon. It's a Portuguese animation, actually the first ever uh, stop-motion animation film out of Portugal. And it's, it's quite beautiful. It's about this girl called Rosa. She lives in a big city. She has a high-stress job. And she's the number one employee of, of that job. One day, uh, she, she receives this letter that her, her grandfather died. He, he was the man that raised her. Uh, so she kind of breaks down at work. You know, sends everything to hell and goes to her old hometown on a rural city in Portugal. Um, and she starts to... She, when she gets there to her grandfather's house, 
she discovers that this guy was kind of a jerk. Like everyone in town hated his grandfather. And she starts to unravel the mystery. And through letters left by, by her grandfather, Rosa starts to kind of redeem him. Like kind of to exorcise his demons. And this is also so beautiful because it first starts as a 2D animation, very modern, but also kind of flat, you know? Then exactly when, when Rosa steps on her hometown, on the soil, in the ground, everything turns into stop motion. And through stop motion, you can like feel... Then the movie truly comes alive. You can feel the textures, you can see the, the water, you, you know? And, and that's one of the themes of the movie, trying to really uh, contrast the way of life in the city where everything is so high so fast pace and uh, stress all the time and noise. And then when you step back and go to this quiet place, you start kind of enjoying the little things of life. That's one of the messages of this film. Also, there's about themes about, you know, generational uh, trauma, about exercising the, the errors of the past, not repeating the errors of, of the people who raise you. And, you know, from an artistic standpoint, I, I loved this film so much. The music, the, the voice acting, mm -hmm. you know, the message is, is very, very good. I don't know if you watched this. My grandfather. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I watched it. Um, I am happy you reviewed it for us because I could not have. It was one of those films that hit my hit, hit me on mm -hmm. the head so well. Uh, my grandfather also raised me. Uh, Grandfather died, found out there was a lot of stuff family didn't wow. say, and um, less about redeeming, more about just understanding who he was in the context of like all of the trauma that he had gone through. And then also understanding like how he passed that down to us, which has been a theme for animated movies the past two years. Mm -hmm. um, but like, it, it, it's beautiful. Like I, I can't talk intelligent, intelligently about it other than to say that it was something that again showcases how you don't need to be in live action to pull something so empathetic to draw to essentially create that thread between me and what i'm seeing on screen um there is just like an immense understanding and emotional weight to everything the color choices the usage of sound the music um it, it's it's gorgeous um yeah, that's all I have on it. <laughs> yes. And it's one of those that you say, oh, this movie deserves to be seen by so many people. And yes, people would yes. To it and people would rave about it, but no one's exactly. going to distribute it. <laughs> Yeah. I know. I'm like, hell, do a triple fe feature with like turning red and this, and like yes. we can like literally just take like these recent movies and let's all let's let's get the generational trauma out and uh, and and this one, to be honest, is the most. It, it is one of the most technically beautiful animated films that I've seen in so long, and I think that we, especially in 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 the West, in, in the West and specifically the United States, like. There's such a focus on the type of animation that Pixar puts out that we forget the beauty um, in stop animation and the beauty in hand illustrated animation. And I think that that's what I've loved about Fantasia is getting to just see the whole gambit of how you can animate and tell a story through art. Um, and I wish more people could just have access to these beautiful movies that don't look like anything out there. Yes. So, yeah. CJ? Again, this is one I sadly didn't do. Pro tip, folks, do not agree to cover one big convention and one big film festival at the same time. You'll end up missing out on some stuff. But once again, Ricardo, you have hooked me. I am an animation nut. I, I just generally love seeing it because you got me to watch Mad God. And I, I, I was engrossed by that, even though I was like, what in the hell am I watching? <laughs> <laughs> that being that this this sounds like right up my alley and of course i'll probably end up crying because of the intergenerational trauma that seems to be a thing in animation nowadays i guess that's how we're working out our issues but yes awesome. if i do get the chance to see it because again as Kay has pointed out sometimes some of these films don't get distribution when they really should and it's a shame yeah. so what, what's your uh what's your second one my second one is Relax, I'm From the Future. It was one of two American films I watched. It stars Rise Darby as a time traveler who arrives 
and instead of, you know trying to save the world or whatever he's just content to chill in the future and he meets a girl named holly and they form a strange friendship uh he's more interested in the past and she's kind of surprised that he's giving her stock tips and then everything goes buys up when a um another time traveler comes to kill him and things get more complicated from there it's written and directed by luke higginson so i had i always loved darby and stuff he has that nice energy to him especially in our flag meets death which i really liked and i like it when time travel does something unexpected because we've all seen you know terminator back to the future doctor who etc this one is less concerned with all the you know rules and more of the impact people leave like like most good sci-fi it uses a metaphor the time travel to say what you do what some people do matters even if they don't think it does and i think that's really a great message especially nowadays and it's also really really funny there's this moment casper keeps having this running bit where he keeps trying to predict things and failing because he's still a little loopy like he predicts like a rain of bouncy balls like five seconds before it happens so people are constantly doubting him i also have to give shouts to gabrielle graham who plays holly she is great in this and she also points out that life is not good for a black lesbian woman no matter what time period you'd go to so i was just yeah. like yeah <laughs> this is some deep stuff and yes it's just really really funny and great and i hope it gives more distribution so people can see it because this is a really great movie yeah did either of y'all see it Mm-mm. i didn't I did watch not. this one i did not okay, either yeah. i i Kind of, I wanted, like, when I first did, did my my highlights, I had it there, and I forgot about it, sadly, but that sounds very cool. And any science fiction travel movie is always welcome on my screen. <laughs> yes, same. Yeah, it was, again, in my last rounds that I needed to pick up, but it sounds really interesting. Um, I think, uh, so for, for my next one, it's actually one of the few American films that I watched. Um, I, I tried very hard not to, but then like some people, you know, you know how like some PR people just send you an email <laughs> and you can tell that they have read your work and read up on you and like tried to match a film directly to like you. <laughs> that happened with Hypochondriac. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I ended up watching Hypochondriac. It was one of, I think, two, uh, three American films that I watched and it's a horror film. Um, it really, so... I'm going to preface this by saying it doesn't revolutionize mental health and horror at all. It just, it captured a fear that I have deep inside of me. And I think that that's why it succeeded so well. Um, So Hypochondriac is directed by um, Addison Heyman and it stars Zach Via as Will. Um, And Will is a man who's, and it's not a spoiler, it's like the plot, his mother tried to kill him in a bipolar episode when he was young. And so she has been removed from the home and we catch up with him while he's a a full adult. He has a loving boyfriend. He has a job that he loves. It opens and he's like helping his friend through a panic attack. And he's like using grounding techniques and he is very well adjusted. And then slowly over time, his mom starts to reemerge in his life and He's starting to see small breaks in his own mental health and in his own physical health. And it's called hypochondriac because he's so focused on these small things that are happening that he's missing larger pictures and larger issues. And he's going to the doctor consistently. And it it just really resonated with me because one, I mean, I'm just happy to see a Latino lead again. <laughs> like I love it when I get to watch horror and see see Latinos. So that that made me happy. But there's also a specific thing that comes with that, with paternal relationships and Latino families and then how they handle mental health. Um, My mom refused for a very long time to admit she had any issues. And so in me, when I started manifesting certain, certain illnesses, she also refused to see them. And so now my entire adult life, now that we both kind of gotten help, like I consistently worry about turning into my mother. 
Um, and that's really what this film gets at. And it's really raw and it's really vulnerable and investigative of, of Will's position in the story and how his fears are actually causing him to hurt the people around him because he's so focused on what he doesn't want to become, he's losing everything. Um, and then there's there's a lot of disconnects with what is really happening and what isn't happening. Like, what is he imagining? Where is it grounded? Um, and I think it's just, it's a really good film. And I think that while there are some pacing issues and the ending's a little weird, um, Zach Via really is, is a really good lead. Like he just carries this film um, with his emotion and like his just, I don't know. Like it was just one of those that just really hit me and was just perfectly crafted to be something that would just irk me and make me feel very bad. Um, so it accomplished a horror thing by making me feel very bad and very scared. Um, and this one has distribution is actually out on VOD right now from XYZ films. So, um, yeah, I don't know if anybody else caught that one. Uh, probably not. It wasn't too much up there on anybody's stuff. So yeah. I, I kind of avoided American films, but I, I this is Kate got me interested, but I just kind of forgot. Because... Yeah, no, 100%. And, and that was my thing. I was like, <laughs> I will watch things that I can't get anywhere else. Yes. But then I got that email and it was like, hi, <laughs> I totally know you. This is the wavelength you're on. And I was like, oh, well, well, damn. <laughs> CJ, did you watch it? I didn't watch it, but yeah, I've wow. been there. People have sent me stuff based on my reviews, so I totally did. <laughs> So, uh, what's what's your third one, Ricardo? We are gonna keep uh, talking about Kate uh, a little bit because the, the next one is uh, Huesera, uh, a Mexican horror film directed by Michelle Garza Cervera. This is her feature film debut. She has uh, many shorts under her belt, and this was it's her feature. And oh my god, this is so good! <laughs> this is the best horror film I've seen all year. Very proud. This is Mexican and it kicks up so much ass and at the same time it's very painful and very brave and very punk this is a punk movie in many it aspects. is the, the soundtrack yes the soundtrack is so good yes uh, and the themes this this is these are not themes that are tackled by pretty much anyone you know um earlier in the year we got the lost daughter which tackled the horrors of motherhood through this subtle thriller aspect now this uh, wesera tackles it through straight up horror and the the mexican the latin american imagination um this movie is about a woman called valeria who wants to have a, a ch children she tries and tries to get pregnant finally she does but right when when she gets pregnant strange stuff starts happening to her and she feels like this kind of anxiety, she feels like something's not right and there are some kind of paranormal stuff that she starts uh, watching, some visions and uh, to deal with that she kind of gets help from black magic and this is a very smart masterfully directed film about how the patriarchal society wants something out of women, out of mothers, and how some women have just lost all sense of identity by following this patriarchy. And it's so full, I, I watched it two times, and the second time you realize even more details about how little everyone around Valeria care about her, how everything it's about the baby. Oh, how's the baby? Oh, it's just pregnancy. The baby, the baby. And what about the woman that is the, the woman that is carrying the baby? What about her? And this is kind of a, a taboo subject. And mostly in, in Latin America, it's, it's so deeply patriarchal and so much like family, yeah, family and the baby, you know? Uh, so this is tackling a, a taboo subject through horror and it has some great jump scares and a third act that it's oh my god oh my god one it's of the brutal. best third acts it's brutal <laughs> yes it's it's brutal yes yeah this is about a woman who a woman who has lost her identity and is struggling to 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 get it back and uh, Kate has wrote many wonderful things about this so I don't know what you want to say about no thank Ucera. you yeah I uh 
I had to watch, so I had to watch it twice, not necessarily by choice, but because I was crying like so much when I realized what it was about. Um, so like for me, um, just like Ricardo said, like if you're listening to this and you don't have any Latin American background, um, like family is made to be everything. If you cut it off, you're evil for doing that. If you refuse to have children as a woman, you are you are like I'm not carrying on my family name and I'm like why 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 is that my responsibility go ask somebody else and um particularly in the United States for me um I have no like birthing is scary um and there's something beautiful that Wesara does in the use of the sounds of bones popping and just the idea of breaking something down and rebuilding it because pregnancy is a horror story um, women feel the same amount of decibels of pain as to breaking 20 bones all at one time. Pelvis, your pelvis can break, your coccyx can break. Uh, a C-section is literally removing your organs, pulling them to the side, getting the baby out and then packing them back in. Like that is just terrifying. And so birthing for me is something that I never want my body to go through. But if it was something that a lot of Americans tend to forget is that um, Latinas very specifically and, and largely targeted on Mexican Americans, we were forcibly sterilized over time. And so for me, Wesara has actually become a really powerful piece in like feeling okay with my choice to undergo that process voluntarily and feel okay. Like my, like motherhood isn't my culture, despite what people did to the women before me my culture is not defined by me being a mother. And I think that there is a piece that happens after such a brutal third act that like it felt like a weight was off my chest because I felt like somebody saw me and it wasn't like a white film. It wasn't like a film from a different culture. Like it was, it was somebody who was speaking to like people who could have been my tias, who could have been my mom, who could have been like, and that just hit different. It was made by somebody who got it and wanted to say that it was okay to privilege yourself, not privilege yourself, but take control of yourself and not lose yourself by trying to be what everybody says you have to be. That was very long, but that the, hands down the best horror movie of the year, hands down like one of the best takes on motherhood and such a very different look at maternal horror. Because when we think about maternal horror, it's always the woman is trying to get back to the happiness of having the child or she's trying to get the child back or she's trying to save the child. And this is about the power that it takes to realizing that you, you need to give that child up. And I think that that is something that is just so powerful and to be explored through that genre. So Jeff's good. kiss, so everything. Good. Yeah, yeah. This director is going places. Uh, oh, <laughs> she, she, yes. she already won a bunch of awards for this. And, uh, I want her to get everything. Yeah. She needs everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the cast, the cast is also brutal. Everyone Valeria is... Yes. Oh there, there's a very specific scene. It's very subtle. <laughs> but when she's sitting in the bathtub and she leans forward and you hear the bones in her back crack and the actress kind of moves her shoulders and you can see it kind of ripple. Ugh. Yeah. Like. Natalia Solian is in the Everybody, Mayra Batalla, who was on last year's prayers yes. of the Stolen, she's. Yes, a great she's very good. She's so good. Also, uh, Mercedes Hernandez, who starred in Identifying Features, yeah. my, my favorite Mexican film, maybe mm -hmm. of all time. Mm -hmm. Movies are good, y'all. Like, sometimes yes. movies are good. And, and like... This one has distribution in the United States. XYZ has it. So yes! Cool. Oh, cool. Great, yes. great, great. Hopefully, hopefully, lots of people see it. I will make everybody around me watch this movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want kids. <laughs> I totally so get it. I totally get it. What's what's your next one, CJ? The past last days of the samurai. It takes place, as you may have guessed, during the waning days of the Edo period, where uh where uh um Sugoni Suke Kawai is attempting to broker peace between uh factions in the east and the west of the Tokugawa shogunate. So here's this man trying to stop a war and also contending with days that his time as a samurai may be over. Now, a lot of 
people, when they think of samurai, mainly think of Akira Kurosawa. And as well, they should. The man was a legend. Fun fact, uh, Takashi Koizumi, who wrote and directed this film, actually worked with Kurosawa on some films. So he, more than anybody else, gets what made uh, Kurosawa's films work. And it wasn't, you know, the black and white filter or the length. It was the character. Every character, you spend time with them, you get to know them, and Kawhi is no different. You get to see him with his wife, with his fellow samurai, and even, you know, trying to talk down a group of fighters who are attempting to kill a, another member of the shogunate. He's like, this is not what samurai do. If you want to fight, meet him on the battlefield in daylight. And it, it's a great character piece. And I say this because people... If they pick up a samurai film, they're going to expect a lot of sword play. There is only one fight in this film. And they work up to it, which makes it great. Like, it, you know, it's like this, it's looming on the horizon. And, you know, you're just like, what's going to happen next? And you see straight up what happens when the samurai who are used to fighting with swords and arrows and stuff are met with their opponents who have actual rifles and, you know, can pick them off easily so it's that battle is very intense and high-pitched and yeah but the build-up to it is just as great and yes this is a really great film and i'm so glad i watched it it's probably my favorite i know i said a lot of great things about shinoshima but the past is just well constructed uh koizumi shoots it with like such great visual flair if i know they say every frame is a painting but every frame and this film does look like a painting and it's so great. And since we're running short on time, I won't add too much more other than that's a, it's a great film. It just is a great film. I think there is an art to shooting samurai films in a way that shows why they're the superior Western <laughs> because Western stole everything from them. Uh, but I, I think that that's like, it, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful storytelling. It's beautiful visuals. It's beautiful sound. Um, yeah, that's all I got to add on that one. Happy I watched it. <laughs> I, I, I struggle with Japanese historical dramas. And I think they're called Jidai Geiki, like the official name. And this yeah. was no ex exception. There are names and there are facts. And I don't know what was going on. But uh, the main character, uh, Koji Yakusho, who, who is uh, playing this character, Sugi Nosuke, or... I'm sorry for butchering all this name. Uh, for those that don't know, Koji Yakushu is probably the best, most legendary living Japanese actor right now, and he draws you in. Like, even if you don't understand what's going on, you, he talks, you listen. And holy shit, like, this guy is just incredible. And, and he, also, he just how he moves. Yeah. Like, just how he's, like, he... Just him walking wow. like through a scene, I there's just something powerful about it. And I couldn't really put my finger on it, but like it's just the guy has like this raw magnetism. Like yeah. every scene he's in, your eyes are immediately drawn to him. Even somebody else talking, you're just like it's like okay, walking in. It's like I feel like this man walks into a room and literally sucks all of the air and attention direct. Like it's he just becomes a vortex. Yeah. Yes. He's good. He's good. So good. And the movie, even if it doesn't have all this action, like I think the best for me, the best parts about the movie are the quiet uh, uh, moments when he, when Koji Yakushu is with with her wife, who is played by Takako Matsu. She's also wonderful. Like just these little moments when they are sharing music, it's just. Terrific and was the most powerful stuff of the movie for me. And uh, so we'll kind of go a little bit fast through these last bits um, just so we can wrap up. Uh, but My Broken Miracle is my last one. Uh, I It is a transformative manga. Um, it's beautiful. It's put out by Kodansha. So you can read that now. Um, it, you can get it digitally or physically. It is about Tomio, who is just regular office worker. Um, and one day she's having lunch and hears that a woman named Mirko has jumped from a building and committed suicide. And she is like, oh, that can't be my childhood friend. And then it turns out being her childhood friend. And the entire film is told in flashbacks and like uncovering 
the past and the memories. And the reason that this film sticks with me so much is because it's a look of grief when you've been away from somebody who meant so much to you. Um, and then also what it's like to desperately try to hold on to memories of somebody that you are struggling to remember. Um, and the lead, uh, the lead actress who plays uh, Tomoyo, uh, her name, is, oh, sorry, it's Yen Press, not, not Kodansha. Um, but the lead actress who plays Tomoyo uh, uh, Mei Nagano is, is, she's stunning. She's stunning. There is a scene where she is in a bar and everybody's just having fun and she loses it, like just, just loses it. And she is screaming and she's yelling and she's talking about how she just wants to remember how annoying Mariko was because that, like, she just wants anything that she can get. And um, I think that this kind of solidified that Fantasia Fest was about emotional damage for me. <laughs> um, but it, it, it's a film about grief and grieving and how we kind of have to get through it at some point. Um, and also just looking at the tragedy that was Mariko's life. Um, and, and the title of the movie is My Broken Mariko because that's how Mariko sees herself. She yeah. sees herself as a broken person and, and she just doesn't know how to fix it. And I think that one of the beautiful things about it is as somebody who has lost people to suicide and as somebody who has, you know, and I'm very open about having attempted in the past, there's something um, gut-wrenching, but I don't want to say educational because it kind of strips it of the emotion, but like important about watching the holes that can be left when you leave, um, even when you feel that somebody's forgotten you. Um, and I think that that's the beauty of the film. So. Beautifully sad. It's very sad, but at the same time, it gives its it's uh, I don't know how to describe it. it's so gorgeous it's such a gorgeous movie and uh, Kate you, you read the manga and it's very an excellent adaptation right That's yes crazy. yes it, it is it is literally the best adaptation I have ever seen of a manga in in capturing the emotional weight of moments um and and, and close-ups and images like it, it's it, it knocks it out of the park uh, uh, something I found very, very funny that main Nagano this this uh, main actress who plays Tomoyo. Like last year at Fantasia, there was this film called Office Royale. That yes! is completely opposite mm. about office ladies doing forming factions in the office and fighting each other. And May Nagano is this quiet girl who suddenly gets explosive. And that's what weirdly that's what she does in My Broken Mariko. She's very quiet and so thoughtful and she communicates all these wonderful feelings, but she can burst at any moment and in this case, instead of fighting uh, against all their office ladies, in this movie, she's like releasing the grief, you know, in this explosive mm -hmm. burst. And it's what, what an actress and what a great movie. So, yeah, very recommended. Now I want to read the manga and see this movie because that sounds really Yeah, it's awesome. really good. Widely available from Yen Press. They also sell it in hardback as well, which is the one I have. I would highly recommend if you're into physical media. If not, uh, you can pick it up. I think it's like $8. Um, digital. So, um, Ricardo, your last one. Yeah, I. There are many ones I want to talk about, but uh, the roundup. The roundup is a Korean action film directed by Lee Sang Jong. This is actually a sequel of The Outlaws, which came out in 2017, actually. Yep. And it's about a a, a a bunch of policemen, of detectives that seek out bad guys in Korea and they kick their asses. But it's not that simple. It's full of twists. There's this villain. Uh, but first of all, this is starring Ma Dong Seok. For those yes. who, who can't recognize the name, he's the guy from Train to Busan. He's also in Eternals. Yes. And he's the best. <laughs> he's such a good actor. And he's the perfect Ooh. man for this job because the main character is, is this movie. You know, his name is, oh gosh, um, Ma Masiokdo, that's Ma the name of the yeah. detective. <laughs> and this guy is a perfect combination of, of raw physical uh, brutality, not that brutality, just raw physicality and good guy and yes. smart guy. <laughs> it is the perfect package. And of course, uh, Madong Sok does a wonderful job with it. So this guy goes to Vietnam to kind of vacation stuff to do uh, a small mission that turns out to be much bigger and there's this horrible Korean criminal running around uh, kidnapping people and Madong Ma Seok, well, uh, the detective, detective, Ma Ma yeah. detective Ma says, no, we can't have this, 
we are going to stop this and they start to chase this bad guy down. Sounds very straightforward, but it is not because it's full of surprises and twists and the action is excellent and there's tension and there's the humanity of this Mark character because he's a good guy trying to stop murders and trying to stop kidnapping and there's ah, so much fun and I don't know, Kate, did you watch or CJ, Kate, did you watch The Outlaws? Like. Yes, yes, that was why I like immediately. I am hard, yes. Kate. Please don't give attention to anything with cops and cop again. And then I watched this and I was like, yes. I love it. I yes. love Detective Ma. Let yes. him beat all the criminals and forget that they have rights. This is great. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I also felt that. I love Train to Busan. And when I saw Ma Dong was in there, I was like, yep, I got to see this man just. Outlaws, Outlaws <laughs> is a great watch. And I think, yeah. Outlaws, so I think, among my top five action films of all time. So I, I don't think the roundup is that excellent because the villain is not that great. Like the villain of the Outlaws is like top notch, but at the same time, it's excellent. Like the roundup is not the Outlaws, not as good, but it's so much fun. And you, and you can walk into it if you haven't seen the Outlaws exactly. as well. It does a lot mm -hmm. to let you just walk in. Yeah. yeah. Madong Siok, amazing. Amazing what this guy does. Perfect balance. Yeah. yeah. CJ, what about you? What's your last one? My last one is what to do with the dead kaiju written and directed by Satoshi Miki. Essentially, a kaiju attacks Japan and the mysterious force kills it. And now the government has to figure out, okay, what are we going to do with this thing? Some people are just like, okay, we can use its body for tourism purpose. Others are like, we got to get rid of it because we don't know what a kaiju's decomposing body will do. And among this, there is a love triangle between the members of the Japanese special forces, which are formed to, uh, which was formed to deal with kaiju. So you have a love triangle, a rotting, decomposing giant monster, and bureaucratic uh, annoyance. And it's funny, and it's also action-packed parts. Like there's like a motorcycle chase and a rappelling down the body of the dead kaiju, and I was in, I was reminded a lot of Don't Look Up. Same how pe how people will, will kind of figure out ways to not deal with a problem until it's too late, as well as you know the smart people having to deal with the dumb people, you know, making their job infinitely more harder. And also, it's kind of a metaphor for climate change because again, we all know kaiju tend to be fat. Godzilla is a big fat walking. Uh, metaphor for nuclear power so glad they kind of kept that angle here only with climate change and the ending kind of left me weird because it came out of nowhere i was like wait what and also i am but that being said i while i'm usually not a fan of love triangles i really think it worked here mainly because of the performances of uh tal Tushia, who plays yukino uh, and Arata, who was played by Ryosuke Yamada. They have, like, insane chemistry. Every time they're in there, you're just like, just make out already. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. The, the kissing meme from Tangled, essentially. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really funny. I definitely recommend it if you are a fan of Godzilla films or you just want a good laugh, or both. Yeah, it's really fun. Really enjoyed it. I, I did not get to see that one and I'm really sad that I didn't because that was again one of the ones like I had the screener in my thing but I've been so busy that I haven't gotten to watch it um it sounds really good and it also reminds me of kaiju number uh kaiju number eight which is a shonen jump manga that is really good and it's all about a kaiju cleanup crew and a guy who becomes a kaiju fighter uh nice. instead of seeing a cleanup crew uh, that I highly recommend. But oh, I really forgot Rico Kinkushi is in this. Oh, dope. Well. Yes. Uh, did you watch it, Ricardo? I did not. I did not. Cool. Well, that rounds out our top five faves for each of us. Uh, I think we did a good job. It's at an hour. Uh, so I think that that's good. Uh, there's so much more that we covered and watched. Um, you can go to butwhythough.net. We dropped the podcast. Hopefully people will credit us correctly now um, instead of putting podcasts at the end of things. Uh, so, but why though, .net, 
Um, I will link in the show notes a link to all of our reviews and our Fantasia coverage. Uh, Ricardo, you also did some writing at your site as well, if you want to plug that. Oh, yeah. I, I write many features for about Wido, but I also wrote for my own website, which is called La Estatuilla. Um, you can find the link on my Twitter at Quali It's easily to find. And um, yeah, it was a great, great experience. CJ, why don't you let everybody know where they can find you? Okay, you can find me on Twitter at CJ Writes Things. You can Google my name, call your Jennings, and find my written work on Collider, IGN, and Slash Film. And I am also the co-host of Into the Spirecast, where we talk all things Spider-Man. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at oh my myth brandier. I I I don't know what I'm doing on Twitter anymore. Most of it shit toast. Sometimes it's crying. A nice happy medium. Uh, and if you want to join this conversation, you can jump into our Discord, discord.gg slash B-U-T-W-H-Y-T-H-O, uh, and come talk movies, film, anime, current events, literally everything over there. Um, yeah, thank you all for listening, and check out our coverage. <laughs>